Well, let's turn back over to Deuteronomy chapter 2. For those of you that this is your first service, I've been teaching from one verse. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24. This is Moses rehearsing 40 years of the Jewish history, how that they had come out of Egypt, how they had been stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. And the Lord told him, he says, you've surrounded this mountain long enough. Now rise up in uh, verse 24, Deuteronomy 2, 24, rise ye up, take your journey and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thy hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon. And that's as far as we've gotten in that verse so far in three sessions. And last night I was talking about how you have to behold something being done before you can behold it. You have to see it on the inside before you see it on the outside. And this is what he was telling Moses. He says, look, I have given into your hand Sihon. But then he said, now you have to begin to possess it and contend with him. Most people think, well, he says it's done, but it's really not done. No, it really is done. Because once God decrees something, it's an accomplished fact. I wish I had time to go back over all this. Like I mentioned last night, I must have 15, 20 hours minimum teaching on this. But uh, in uh, my teaching on grace and faith, we'll go right along with this, that God by grace has already provided everything. When you get sick, the Lord doesn't respond to you and heal you. The Lord already anticipated every sickness and every disease that could ever come upon the human race. And he took all sickness and all disease in his body on the tree. And by his stripes, we were healed. First Peter 2, 24. You were healed before you ever got sick. Healing has already been accomplished. And according to Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 and 19, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is not out here in heaven, but it's in you. It's already in you. So he's already accomplished your healing. He put that raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And instead of asking God to heal you, you need to start thanking God that by his stripes, you were already healed. It's done. God has already released his healing power and it's in you. Now, does that mean that it's just automatic? No, because you have to confess the word of God. In uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And even though God has already provided it, even though he's put this power on the inside of you, you are going to have what you say. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 says, you will have whatsoever you say. And the problem is most people are saying, well, I am sick. The doctor says I'm dying and your words have life and death in them. If you are speaking what you see and feel, you are releasing the negative force of the devil instead of the positive force of God. And so God has already done it. He's already made the provision. This power isn't out there that you got to pray it down. So much of the body of Christ, this is what they're doing is trying to pray for revival to fall and asking God to pour out. No, God stretch forth your mighty hand. It's all wrong. Was that too subtle? Anybody miss that? That's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
It's already here. It's already within us. When the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if you study that out, that's not meaning that it's closed. That means it's here. It's done. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John the Baptist. And then Jesus came saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means it's already here. Quit asking for it to happen. Quit asking for God to do something. It's done. Christians aren't trying to obtain a victory. They are coming from a victory. It's already an accomplished fact. And you just need to start releasing. It's up to you to release it. Here's another way of saying it. Some of you, this probably be offensive to you. You may think this is a little over the top, but I'm just trying to get my point across. You're the one that determines whether you get healed, not God. God's already done his part. He's seated at the father's right hand. Jesus is. He is not healing people today. By his stripes, you were healed. First Peter 2, 24, it's already done. If you get healed, it's not God who's all of a sudden doing something to heal you. It's you who taps into what God's already done. It's like this electricity. Electricity's already been generated and it's put into this building. And you go over there and you flip the switch. But if you were to call the power company and say, we've got a meeting today and we've got hundreds of people coming and we need air conditioning and we need the lights and we need the sound system. Would you please turn on our lights? Would you please turn on electricity? The electric company will not come out here and do it. They generate the power in anticipation of your need. It's here. And if you want to receive it, you go flip the switch. That is very similar to the way it is in the Christian life. God's already done everything that you're asking him for. He's already done it. By his stripes, you were healed. You're already blessed. Ephesians chapter one, verse three, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You know, before you got saved, Jesus doesn't die and forgive your sins now. He died for our sins one time, 2,000 years ago. And all of your sins, past, present, and even sins that you haven't committed yet have already been atoned for. That's a new wrinkle in most people's brain. Most people are, I got to repent and confess every sin. I'm not even going to go there. I could spend all morning talking about that, but no, your sins were forgiven before you ever committed them. And if you think God can't forgive a sin before you commit it, well, you better hope that he can because he only died for your sins once 2000 years ago before you were born. He doesn't forgive your sins. Now they're already forgiven. It's not God who's forgiving you. It says in first John chapter two, verse two, that he is the propitiation That means the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has already forgiven the sins of the whole world. Does that mean that everybody's saved? No, because you have to receive it. You have to flip the switch. You have to put faith in what he did. A verse that I used last night, Hebrews chapter four, verse two, the word was preached unto us the same as it was preached unto them, but the word preached unto them did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You got to mix faith with what God has done. God has died for the sins of the whole world, but that doesn't become a reality until you mix faith with it and believe. And then the healing, the salvation that was already provided becomes a reality and you get born again. If a person doesn't put faith in what Jesus has done, they are going to die and be held accountable for their own sins that not because they weren't paid for, but because they rejected what was already done for them. 
Likewise, God has already healed you. You don't need God to heal you. What you've got to do is mix faith with what he says he's already done. And you're the one that turns on the switch and releases the power of God. It's not up to God if you get healed. It's not up to God if you get blessed and prospered. It's up to you. In uh, Joshua chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. Everybody wants prosperity and good success, but we just passively pray and ask God as if we have no responsibility and nothing to do with it. And if we don't see our answer come through, we think, well, why didn't God answer that prayer? God didn't answer that prayer. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18 says, you shall remember the Lord, your God, that it's he that gives you power to get wealth that he might establish his covenant as he swore unto your fathers. God doesn't give you wealth. He gave you power, an anointing, an ability to prosper. And if you by faith will start giving, which activates the things of God, faith without works is dead. James chapter two, verse 20. So you got to not just say it, you got to do something. How is it that you show that you believe God is your source? You give. And when you give, then that activates and releases the blessing that God already commanded on us 2000 years ago through Jesus. And you begin to prosper. But there are so many people that are sitting there asking God, pleading and doing everything but they aren't trusting God and and looking at it as a done deal. And because of it, you're actually in unbelief. You're waiting on God to heal you. And the truth is God's waiting on somebody to stand up and believe him that by his stripes, they were healed. Man, that's good preaching. That is awesome. I just summarized a lot of things. That's about 10 or 15 of my tape sets out there that I all put into one. But man, that is powerful. Did you know when Ashley and Carly saw Hannah healed, they had been told that sometimes God makes you sick. Sometimes this is God's punishment. Maybe it's God's will for Hannah to die. Maybe he's trying to teach you something. And that was keeping the healing that God had provided for Hannah from coming into manifestation. But you know, if they had more time, they could share with you in more depth that when they finally saw this, they took their authority. And right after Hannah went out and ate, Carly says on our little DVD that a well person who hadn't eaten in three and a half years would be sick after eating Kentucky fried chicken and (laughs) brownies and sodas and fizzy drinks and everything else. You know what? That'd make anybody sick. And yet Hannah had never eaten and she ate all of this. Within one hour, she started to hurl. And the the, uh, boys got out of the way because they had seen her do this before. And Ashley took his authority and commanded that to stop and said, no, by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. And one other time in, in the first 24 hours, she started to have this uh, choking and was going to throw up. And Ashley took his authority and stood. And if they hadn't have taken their authority, if they would have said, well, this was too good to be true. We thought she was healed, but this looks contrary you know what? Hannah wouldn't be with us today. As a matter of fact, there was a little girl that had an an identical situation come to one of our meetings 
And she had, I forget the exact details, but it was a similar type of thing. Two or three years, she had had these food allergies. She was dying and wasting away. And it was the exact same thing. And uh, Ashley and Carly were there. They prayed with her. I prayed with her. That girl went out and ate uh, everything that you could throw at her. And she, for two weeks, ate everything and was perfectly normal. But the parents, because there were some problems in the family and they were going through a divorce and there was things. And anyway, they were dealing with issues. The parents got fearful and uh, started thinking, is this wisdom to let her eat? And anyway, she started to choke one time and throw up and they completely stopped everything and went back and that little girl died. And you know what? She was healed but they just didn't know how to take their authority. It's not God that controls healing. God's will is for every person to be healed. We control it by our unbelief or our faith, by us turning on the switch or just staying on the phone and saying, please, please come turn on the electricity. They aren't going to turn it on. They generate the power. They put it here. Now you flip the switch. You take your authority and do something. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. So look at this again in in Deuteronomy chapter two, verse 24. Rise ye up. We've talked about that. Take your journey. You have to take your journey, not somebody else's journey. God's got a purpose for you. Find out what it is. Pass over the river, Arnon. You got to get into a place where you're vulnerable, where you commit yourself. You actually enter into enemy territory and you take a stand and you're going to fight and do whatever. Then you've got to see your victory. You've got to see yourself winning. You've got to see yourself well. It's up to you. You're the one that controls what you see. God didn't make us to be as dull spiritually as most people are. We have made ourselves that way by sitting in front of a television and watching junk and dumbing ourselves down. You need to spend time being still and knowing that he is God and letting God inspire you and using your imagination. We talked about all of that last night. You have to do that. You're the one that's made yourself carnal. You're the one that can make yourself spiritual. You can choose to put your attention upon the Lord. You can do it. Nobody makes us be as carnal and dull spiritually as we are. That is completely up to you. I've got a book out there entitled The Four Keys to Staying Full of God. And it'll teach you how to sensitize yourself to the Lord. You can be as full of God as you want to be. You can be as happy as you want to be. You can be as spiritual as you want to be. It's not something that you just pray and say, oh, God, touch my life and please make me a spiritual giant. It's not up to God whether you become a spiritual giant. It's up to you. That usually goes over about like that. People don't like this because you know what? It's putting responsibility on you. And you're saying, now, wait a minute. Did you know it's really popular for people to pray and fast and ask God to send revival? That's really popular because that absolves you of any responsibility. It's not up to you. You're waiting on God. You aren't waiting on God. God wants revival more than you want revival. And God has already placed his glory on the inside of every one of us. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He said that you'll be able to cast out all sickness, all disease, all demons. He gave you authority. You go out and raise somebody from the dead and you'll have all the revival you can handle. 
When you go to work and somebody goes to talking about how sick they are, instead of just sitting there and being quiet or telling them about how sick you are (laughs) and commiserating with them over it really is bad. Instead, stand there and say, do you know what? I've got authority over all sickness and all disease. I can cast cancer out. It's not a problem. It's no big deal. Ashley and Carly didn't tell you, but uh, when they told me how bad this situation with Hannah was, everybody else, every time they told them, they just caved like, oh, this really is bad. And it hurt them. And it actually ministered unbelief. When they told Jamie and me, we just said, it's a piece of cake for Jesus. And that did something to them. Like, man, this guy's not afraid of it. He's not intimidated. And they believed. And that's the reason we saw the miracle. Instead of just sitting there and telling people about how bad everything is, say that it's no big deal. I've got authority over all sickness and over all disease. You got cancer? I can pray with you. I can get you well. You go to talking like that and you'll have all of the revival you can handle. You will also have some criticism. And this is why most people won't do it because some people are going to call you a fanatic. You might lose some friends. Some people might think you're weird, but I guarantee you somebody who's hurting will respond. You'll see a miracle and you'd see things change. But you know why most people don't do that? Number one, they don't really know that that's true. They don't know that they have this power. They think that it comes and goes based on whether they are living holy or not, whether they've been fasting or praying and your own conscience condemns you and you think, well, I'm not sure that God would do that for me. He's already done it. And it never fluctuates. God's power doesn't fluctuate based on your goodness or badness. That's a doctrine that is killing people's faith. Man, I've said enough that could keep me. I could stay here for two or three weeks explaining myself out of the things I've already said. And I hadn't got to my point yet. But that's powerful. You don't need to pray and beg God for a revival. He wants it more than you do. He's already put the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. If you would start using it and walking in victory and power, you'd have all of the revival that you can handle. It's a cop out to get into your prayer closet and beg God to do what he told you to do. He told you go lay hands on the sick. These signs will follow you. Did you know that there is not a precedent for the way that people today pray for revival in the Bible? Most people have never thought about that, but you can't find that. You can't find people sending uh, people into a town to bind the demonic powers and do spiritual warfare and clear the heavens so that our prayers could get up to God prior to Paul or Jesus or anybody going in there. Now, Jesus sent people in front of him, but it was for promotion. It was to announce that he was coming and to give testimony. They didn't go in and bind the demonic powers. This whole spiritual warfare that the body of Christ does today is not got a scriptural foundation. And it's actually imputing power to the devil that he doesn't have. And it makes you feel inferior and it's wrong and it's causing unbelief and it's a source of much of your problems is our spiritual warfare teaching in prayer. Thank you for both of those. That's right. I think that was Deb that said both of them. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to have to let that go or I'll never get to my point. Are you in Deuteronomy 22, 24? So anyway, you rise up, take your journey, pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sion, the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it. 
This is such a powerful truth right here. You know, this verse, it just seems like it draws so many scriptural principles and foundational truths into one verse. It's just like a pivotal passage of scripture. But notice he says, begin to possess it. Now, this is another thing that people struggle with. They believe that maybe God wants them to possess the land. They believe that God wants them to be healed. We'll use healing as an example. And so they believe for healing, but they just think it's going to be instant like that, instantaneous. And if it's not instantaneous, well, then they just doubt that God has really healed them. Like I used earlier, they may be 50%, 90% of the pain is gone. They may be much better, but they will focus on the one little part that they don't have and they'll get discouraged. And how come this hasn't happened? Notice he says, you begin to possess the land. They didn't possess this all at one time. As a matter of fact, when it came to the children of Israel entering into the promised land, it took them an entire generation. They spent 40 years in the wilderness till that generation died off. And then there was about 40 years that Joshua led them and they began to possess the land and they never did possess all of the land that God told them to, nor did they drive out all of the people that God told them to drive out. They never did totally fulfill what God told them to do but it was a process. And so much in the Christian life is a process. Now, healing doesn't have to be a process. You can receive instantaneous manifestation, but much in the Christian life is is, uh, tied to your growth and to your maturity. As a matter of fact, look over here in Deuteronomy chapter seven. This is the same day. It's the same address. This isn't a different thought. This is the same person speaking on the same day. And here's what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse 22. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beast of the field increased upon thee. Man, that's powerful. You know what he's saying? He says, I'm not going to give you the land all at once. What if the Lord would have made it so that the moment they crossed Jordan, all of the people would have just died of a plague or they would have all gotten afraid and just run off and the whole land was vacated. He basically was saying, did you know at this time, the nation of Israel didn't have enough people in it to inhabit the whole land and occupy the fields and occupy the houses. The houses would have deteriorated. They would have fallen down and they wouldn't have been uh, any good anymore. The fields would have grown over with weeds and stuff like this. They would have lost all of this. The beast of the field would have increased. They weren't able to take the entire land. So the Lord was going to give it to them piece by piece by piece as they were able to receive it. It actually wouldn't have been a blessing if everybody would have just vacated and the whole land would have been empty and they could have just gone in and occupied it because they weren't able to occupy the whole land. You know, the comparison of that to us is like, for instance, uh, I don't necessarily like the way everything has gone in my life. I would have liked to have started where I am right now. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie and I've been through some hard times. I mean, we went 10 years where people stayed away from my meetings by the droves. (laughs) And you know what? We've been through some hard, hard times and we've struggled financially and 
I might've wished things to be different, but you know, if God would have put me in this ministry, say 30 years ago, we've incorporated our ministry. It'll be 34 years ago this coming. Well, we just passed 33 years. If the Lord would have given me what I've got right now, 33 years ago, it would have killed me. There is not a way in the world I could have managed it, dealt with it. It would have crushed me. I could not have done it. Like I was saying, we have to have around $2 million a month just to pay our bills. If he would have put that burden on me 33 years ago, I don't know what our income was, but I know that when we moved to Colorado Springs, which was, uh, what would that be? 31 years ago. So that was, I was doing better then than I was 33 years ago. When we moved to Colorado Springs, my total income, we were believing God for $700 a month. And if we had $700 a month, we could pay all of our bills and our salary And that was our first thing we believed for was $700 a month. Can you, and so before that, it was probably $500 a month was the total income of us and our ministry. We got our income out of that. And if God would have put a burden on me of $2 million a month worth of bills when I was at $500 a month worth of faith, it would have killed me. I couldn't handle it. If he would have told me to build $45 million worth of buildings, it would have terrified me. I wouldn't have slept. I'd have died of lack of sleep. (laughs) And now I don't miss any sleep. Last night, I, I was asleep all night, but I dream so vividly that I'm awake nearly while I sleep. Sometimes if I'm having trouble sleeping, it's hard for me to tell if I go to sleep or not because my mind works just as much while I'm asleep as when I'm awake. It's hard for me to tell if I'm awake or asleep. And anyway, last night I was just praising God all night long and thanking him. I was having such a great night. It was awesome. I think I slept all night long, but I was praising God. I wasn't up worrying about anything. This is no pressure on me because you know what? I've grown little by little by little. As you're able to partake of it, God matures you. And there are some of you that are wanting You've got a vision of what God wants you to do and you are just frustrated. You're wanting to be there. But if God was to answer your prayers and open up the doors and give you the desires of your heart right now, it'd kill you. It's the grace of God that's keeping you from fulfilling some of the things that you want to do because you aren't mature enough to handle it. God cares more about you than he does about what you could do for him. And he doesn't want to destroy you in the process. I had a meeting, a minister's conference one time, and there was a guy that came forward. I called up ministers who were frustrated and needed a breakthrough in their ministry. And I was going to pray for him. And there was, I don't know, 20 or 30 ministers standing across the front. And the guy on the end right here, he was standing there. And I don't know why, but I just knew that he wasn't ready and I didn't want to pray for him. And so I skipped him and started with the person next to it. And I worked down this row. And when I got down to the other end, he had come down there. He was down here. And so he was standing at the end down here. And so when I got through, I just stopped and I wasn't going to pray for him. And I started to walk off and he grabbed me and he says, why won't you pray for me? And I said, you don't want me to pray for you. And he says, no, I do want you to pray for me. 
So anyway, I prayed for him and I just spoke, it was the word of the Lord. And I spoke to him and I said, you have been rebuking the devil. You believe it's the devil that's stopping your ministry and doors aren't open and finances aren't coming. I said, it's God that's keeping your ministry from going. Because if God was to answer your prayers and put you into the ministry, it would destroy you. You aren't ready. And I said, it's God that's holding you back out of love. And this guy got mad and he did not like it one little bit. He had been a homosexual He had gotten born again and delivered of homosexuality and he was only about six months old in the Lord and he wanted to have a ministry to homosexuals and he wasn't ready yet. And uh, anyway, this guy did get into ministry and he did become fairly successful, but you know what? He did it too quick and this guy fell and last time we saw him, he was running from God, hated God and he did things too quickly. You've got to mature. You know, the verse that the Lord used to change my life is Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And that says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice the progression here. You prove what is the good and then the acceptable and then the perfect will of God. Some people use those three adjectives to define just the will of God. It's good, acceptable, and perfect all at the same time. And I guess you could make a point for that. But at the same time, I believe it also, the scripture teaches there is a good will of God. There is an acceptable and then the perfect will of God. There are stages that you go through, not because God has to do things in stages, but he's got to use us. And it takes time for us to grow and mature. And so there are steps and stages. This is why it says, begin to possess the land. You can't do everything all at once. There is a process in the Christian life. And most people are just super impatient. They want to microwave their miracle. They want to microwave their ministry. They want instant results. They want to just add water and push a button and boom, it's there. And if they can't see it come to pass, well, then they just don't believe that this is God. You know, that's not the way that the Israelites inherited the land. That's not what this is saying. And you are going to miss God if you don't understand that the things of God comes in steps and stages. Look at this passage over in Mark chapter four. This is something I always teach in our Bible college. If you came to Bible college, I guarantee you, you would understand this principle that I'm talking about. But in Mark chapter four, these parables of the sower sowing the seed and the parable in the 26th verse about the man who just cast seed into the ground. Jesus is teaching how the kingdom works, how the kingdom of God. He's explaining to you, this is how it works. Amen. I tell you, this is so important. We understand there are laws that govern the operation of God and you can't, people think, well, if he's God, he can do anything he wants to. Well, because he's God, the same God that created this universe that is so systematic, so perfect that you can predict a thousand years in the future where a planet's gonna be, where everything's gonna be. They can tell you when the eclipse will be. Uh, years and years in the future because it's clockwork. Everything is perfect. That same God who created such order is himself orderly. 
And there are ways that he does things and he doesn't just based on your desire. Well, you know, if, if he was really God, he could just heal me. No, he's put down laws that govern healing. And if you don't flip the switch, you can beg and plead and you can fast until you're pitiful and say, why didn't God move? It's because you didn't co- cooperate with the laws. You didn't do what God told you to do. You hindered the healing power of God. That's it. It's not up to God who gets healed and who doesn't get healed. It's not up to God who gets saved. He's provided salvation for everybody. It's up to us whether we accept it or not. God doesn't force these kind of things. So God is orderly and he's telling us how his kingdom works. He's revealing how things work. So here it is, Mark chapter four, verse 26. So is the kingdom of God. In other words, here's how the kingdom works. As if a man should cast seed into the ground. He uses a seed to illustrate how the word of God works. If you look in Mark 4, 14, it says the seed is the word of God. He's using a seed to illustrate how the word of God controls everything in the kingdom of God. Did you know seeds control the universe? I don't know if you know it, but all food, all plant life and stuff comes from seed. Seeds, everything grows from seed. People come from seeds. Animals come from seeds. Seeds control everything. If there were no seeds, there would be no life on this planet. Everything operates off of a seed. And there is a law of seed, time, and harvest. And people who just want to say, well, I believe if God is God, he could just supernaturally create food for me. You're going to die of starvation because that's not how God does it. You're going to plant a seed and you're going to have to give that thing time to work and it's going to grow up. That's how it works in the natural. That's how it works in the spiritual. And yet, you know, in the natural, if somebody was to just get over barren ground, I mean, no, no seeds have been planted. And if they went out every day and threw themselves on the ground and prayed, no, God, please let there be tomatoes. Oh God, I'm commanding tomatoes to come. You can pray, you can do whatever you want to, but no tomatoes are going to grow if you don't plant a seed. (laughs) You would laugh at people who did that and you'd say, that's foolish. Why would a person do that? Did you know Christians do this constantly? Oh God, heal me. Oh God, I know you can heal me. Heal me. And they're praying and begging for healing. And if you were to ask them, so what scriptures do you have that you've planted in your life for healing? They say, well, I I think there's a, I forget if it's the old covenant or the new covenant, but someplace in there by his stripes, we were healed. Is that in, you know what? You need to have a little bit more interaction with the word than that to have it germinate and release its power. Psalms 107 verse 20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. Proverbs chapter four, I believe it's around verse 22 says, the word is health unto all of your flesh and life unto them that find it. If you want to get healed, take the gospel and put it in your heart and give it time and healing will come as a result. But there are many people that are just throwing themselves on barren ground. They haven't planted the word. They don't know what the word says or they only know a little portion of it and they don't know how to stand and defend it and they aren't, don't have the word in them and they're just praying and thinking that if God really loved me, he'd just answer my prayer. 
He set the kingdom up that it works like a man casting seed in the ground. If you don't plant any seed, don't be upset with God if you don't get a crop. And if you don't know the word of God, don't get upset with God for not answering your prayers. You didn't plant a seed. This is how the kingdom of God works. It's like the word of God is like a seed. No seed, no fruit, no word, no results. Thank you for that one. Amen. I'm saying things that could help you here. And so in verse 27, it says, and he should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up by, he knoweth not how. I've got about two or three hours worth of teaching on these verses. I could emphasize every part of this. This is so powerful, but I'm trying to get to the next verse. Verse 28, it says, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that, the full corn in the ear. Again, this is that same principle of Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse 22, where it says, I will not give you the land all at once, but you'll get it little by little as you're able to occupy it. It's the same principle of Romans chapter 12, verse two, the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Here it says that the earth brings forth first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. There's steps and stages. Boy, this will help you if you would listen to what I say. I've learned this by hard knocks. I've learned it through the word, but I've also learned it through my experience. This would help you that there are always steps, stages to fulfilling God's will. If you try and jump from where you are into the perfect center of God's will all at once, you will never get there. There's always baby steps in between you and where God wants you to go. And most people just are upset and put out with the fact to think that I have to take an intermediate step. I have to do something along the way. They just want the end results all at once. You can't, that's not how the kingdom works. There's first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. You know, with us, we, I could give you a million examples of this, but We believed God for a building and we had a man come give us a hotel in Manitou Springs, 3,000 square foot hotel. And we occupied that for 12 years. Then we needed another place and we took a step of faith and believed we got a 14,600 square foot building. And that was so big when we got it that we rented half of it out and thought that that would last us for a long time. And we stayed there about 12 years and we were maxed out long before we moved. We moved from there to 110,000 square foot building. Now we are building a 220,000 square foot building just for the Bible school. That's not the rest of the ministry. We will still have the 110,000 square foot building for the ministry. So you add it all together. We're now moving into a 330,000 square foot facility. And there were steps along the way. If I would have had to have in 1980 move into a 330,000 square foot building, we couldn't have even paid the electric bills on the thing. We couldn't have paid the janitor staff to keep it. We couldn't have bought them the, uh, you know, the uh, products that it takes to keep the thing clean. Man, we had to take steps along the way. That is so simple that you got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And yet most people miss this point. 
There are steps into God's perfect will. We had a man that came to our Bible college the first year was open. This guy was about, I don't know, 40 years old or something like this. And he had been in mental institutions his whole life. And he had a government grant to come to our Bible college uh, for educational purposes. So he came and the guy was, I love this guy. He was just as pure in heart. He was like a child and he, he didn't have any guile in him. There was no hypocrisy in this guy. And I just really liked him. I took him under my wing and I tried to help him. But he had no people skills. He'd grown up in a padded cell and he didn't know anything. He'd sit, this is when our Bible school was real small and he'd sit on the front row and turn around and look at everybody and just be picking his nose and turn everybody off. He wasn't malicious with it. He just didn't know how to get along with people. And anyway, I took him under my arm And I started trying to teach this guy people skills and just how to survive and get by. And, and this guy began to get it and he got excited and he came to me one day and there was a place in Manitou Springs that there was this uh, hotel that was built in the 1800s. And it was the showcase of Manitou Springs, a stone building with about, I don't know, 150 hotel rooms in it. And it was the showcase at one time, but it had a fire and it burnt and it had been laying there derelict for, um, I don't know, 10 years or more. And so it had weather damage and the roof was off of it and everything. Well, he thought that it was God's will for him to take that hotel and fix it up. And he went and talked to contractors, found out how much money it would take to repair that, how much money it would take to, to um, buy it and then repair it. And then he uh, had how much he could charge per room. And he had this balance sheet that showed it was going to take like $5 million to buy and repair this thing and get it up to standard. And then he showed me what his payments on that $5 million loan would be. And then how much income he would come if all of the rooms were rented and on a balance sheet, he could actually turn a profit and all of this. So he came to me, he was so excited. He put this in front of me. Look what God has told me. Look what I'm going to do. This is God's will. I'm going to go buy this place. And anyway, I told him, I said, Jerry, I said, I think it's awesome that you're dreaming. I said, this is great. And I tried to build him up and encourage him. But I said, I can guarantee you, this is not God's will for you. And it's just like you popped a balloon, deflated. How could you say that I'm dreaming and believing God? I said, Jerry, you have never worked for a dime in your life. You have lived off government money. You have never had a job. You've never earned a dime in your life. And you're going to come up with $5 million. You have never managed an ice cream stand and you're going to manage a 150 person hotel. I said, this is not how it works. I said, you go out and get a job and you start paying your own way instead of letting the government pay for you. And you get your own place and then you get a two bedroom apartment and rent out one room and manage that. And you start doing some things and you take these steps and then come to me with this plan and maybe it'll be God. But I said, I can guarantee there's always a blade and then the ear and then the full corn. There's a good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God. You possess it little by little. And uh, anyway, he rejected my counsel and he says, no, I'm going to do it. Guess what? He didn't do it. It didn't work. That's not God's will. That's not how it works. 
Somebody says, but that's a good idea. Well, it may be a good idea, but not everything that's good is God. At the same time, I had another guy come to me who uh, gave me about, I don't know, 10 pages of statistics on the youth in Colorado Springs and the, the crime rate, how they were getting in trouble. And he showed me that there was no place for the youth in Colorado Springs to go, that they needed something like a rec center. And he found this um, old Kmart that was abandoned and he could buy that. It was worth about 2 million, but he could buy it for half a million and he could fix it up. And for two or $3 million, he could have this rec center and he could do this. And he, he says, what do you think of this? So I began to ask him some questions. I said, have you ever uh, ministered to youth? He said, no. I said, have you ever helped in a youth group? No. Have you ever been a part of a youth group? No. Have you ever held a Bible study? No. Have you ever done any type of ministry? No. But he just thought this was a good thing. And it was a good thing. It would have been wonderful. But I said, based on the things that I'm telling you right here, I said, I can tell you this is not God's will because you haven't taken these steps. You don't have the growth and the maturity to be able to handle this. I said, you are going to have to start taking some baby steps towards this. You can't just jump. You can't go from zero to a thousand miles an hour instantly. That's not called acceleration. It's called a wreck. If something hit you and moved you to a thousand miles an hour, you're going to be dead by that. You can't do it that way. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed and it takes time and there is growth. And some of you have things that God wants you to accomplish, but there's steps in between and you aren't looking for steps. You're looking at the end result and you're intimidated. You're overwhelmed like, oh God, I could never do this. If God would have shown me, you know, I had a vague uh, picture of God using me. I knew that someday my ministry would be available to every person on the face of the earth. I've known that since day one. But you know what? That's pretty vague. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know when it was going to happen. So I had a goal out here. I knew that someday God was going to use my ministry in a big way, but I didn't know all of the details. If God would have shown me all of the details, if he would have shown me right now, like I said, we have to have about two million. Actually, we probably need about four million a month to be able to do everything I need to do. And soon we'll have that. If he would have shown me that back 43 years ago, I'd have run the other direction. I didn't have my faith built to a place to do that. I had to, first of all, believe for the very first time, Jamie and I personally, this is before we started the ministry, the very first time we ever believed God for a set amount, we wanted $250 a month. That would allow us to pay $100 a month rent to give $100 and have $50 a month to live. And that was the first thing we believed for. And that was big. We were really stretching our faith to believe. The first year J.B. and I were married, our total income for a year was $1,253. Our second year of income was $2,500. What would that be? 24 months, our total income was around $3,700. That's the way we started. And so for us to believe for $250 a month was big. That's where I started. That's where my face started. And you know what? If God would have put all of the things that I'm doing now in front of me and made me responsible for them back then, I'd have run the other direction. I couldn't have believed for that kind of stuff. 
But you learn as you take these baby steps. We just started Bible studies and then we started a little church by default. Hadn't got time to explain that, but it was by default. I didn't want to be a pastor. I became a pastor by default. And uh, anyway, we just took these little steps. And I remember the first time I ever went on a radio station, it cost $750 a month. I thought Jamie might leave me over that one because... (laughs) For the first time, we were finally beginning to see light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't a train. It looked like we were going to survive. And then I wanted to go on a radio station in Dallas, Fort Worth for 750 a month. That was our whole income. That was doubling our debt. And man, Jamie just, how could you do this? We can't do this. And it was a struggle. And you know what? We went on and uh, it was a struggle and we nearly lost everything a, a couple of times. But I mean, that gives you an impression of where my faith was at that time. $750 a month was like a million dollars. But I took those steps and we did that and we saw God come through and we made it. And then we begin to expand. We got to where our income was 10,000 a month and 20,000 and 100,000 and 200,000. And we've taken these steps along the way. And that's how we have been able to do this. This is how God is going to move in your life. And this is what he's telling Moses. He says, begin to possess the land. They didn't possess the land all at once. You have to start. You have to go in and conquer one king at a time, one problem at a time, one deal at a time. And there are many of you that just aren't thinking this way, but you've got to see steps. Now, I see steps and stages. Matter of fact, one of the points that I'm having to do with this building, eventually we're going to need these two buildings, 220,000 square feet, but I'm considering whether I just build the first one and then build the 2,500 seat auditorium secondly. And I've come to realize that there's steps and this may be exactly what God wants. And so I'm in the process of dealing with that and that'll be fine with me. I don't have to have the whole thing at one time. We can do it half at a time if we need to. It's not a problem. I tell you, that is so much wisdom right there. Some of you don't appreciate what I just shared with you. But people try and bite off too much. It needs to be according to your faith. And you just can't make things happen. You've got to, it's going to be according to how you are mature enough to handle it. And God is going to deal with you according to your faith. How many times did he tell somebody according to your faith, be it done unto you? And I tell you, this would really, really help you if you could understand this. We tell our students this all of the time, that some of them want to go out and change the world. And they got these big dreams. Well, go out and change your Sunday school class first. Go out and start a Bible study first. Go do this. Start gaining some experience because it's going to be by little by little. Here a little, there a little. And that's how God is going to give you the land. And I've come to realize, you know, the older I get, I see these people that come and they're just going to, they're going to bypass everybody and they're going to accomplish in six months what it took Billy Graham 40 years to accomplish. And you know what? I've just, when I see that attitude, I, I just think immature, give them a little bit of time. Watch this person burn out, fizzle out. I've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. People pass me like I was in reverse. 
they just go so fast past me. And it looks like, man, what is taking you so long? But you know, give them a year or two and and 90% of them aren't even in the ministry anymore. They aren't doing anything. They, they just ignored the principles of how the kingdom works. There is growth. You know, this is what our whole Bible college is about. We, one of our sayings that we have is that preparation time is never wasted time. I heard Billy Graham say that if he knew that he had three and a half years left before Jesus came back, what would he do? Boy, my thought was get out there and beat the bushes, reach every person that you can. Man, I'd throw caution to the wind, just get after it. Billy Graham said, I'd spend three years shut up with God, not ministering to a single person. And when he said that, this was back 40 years ago, I heard him say this. And um, I was gung-ho and I just thought, man, not me. Get out of my way and let somebody through who will do something. But you know what? I've come to realize now that if he would spend three years in preparation, shut up with God and become strong in the Lord, he would accomplish more in six months time, mature and responsive to the Lord than you can accomplish in three and a half years in the flesh. And there's some of you that are just so upset about things aren't working out. You aren't seeing things happen. And it's because you're trying to cover the whole distance in one step. You ought to take some steps towards it. What would move you in the direction of what God wants you to do? Sit down and just begin to use your imagination like I was talking last night. What is it that has to has to be done before you reach this goal? And if there's some steps in between, if there's some necessary things that have to be done, start doing those. Start taking the preparation steps. Start doing the necessary things. Start taking care of things. We've got people who want to go around the world and minister. And I say, first of all, get your finances in order. Get your bills paid off. Get rid of your debt. Start being faithful over things. Get, there's some people that you have so much junk in your garage that if God called you and opened up the greatest door in the world to you, it'd take you a year to get rid of your stuff and sell your house and get divested enough that you could obey God. If you think that God's got something else for you, you ought to live with a very light grip on things ready to go. Jamie and I intentionally didn't buy a house for probably 20 years. We paid rent, which people said that's foolish to be putting money out there. You ought to be building equity. But you know what? We wanted to be ready to go when God told us to go. And we lived in rent houses and moved at the whim of the landlord because we knew that God was still moving us and we hadn't lighted. And so we didn't get us a house. We finally got a house and our house is debt free and paid for, but we waited for probably 20 years because we knew that we had to be ready to go. And man, if God told me to go, I could be gone 24 hours. You let me pack a bag and get some toothpaste and I'm ready. You need to start taking steps. You need to get yourself ready. Do you think God has something else? Well, do what you can. Take these little baby steps. Why would God reveal to you step 10 if you haven't even taken step one yet? What's the point? It just makes you more accountable. It makes you more responsible for disobeying God. God loves you more than what you can do for him. So he's not going to give you a hundred things and make you responsible for it. He'll show you the next step. And if you aren't faithful to take that, why should he show to you the step after that or step number 10 or whatever? You need to learn to follow God step by step. You begin 
to possess the land. Man, that is powerful. And with that being said, your response ought to be, Father, what will move me in the direction of this goal? this desire that you've given me and look for a small step. Look for something that you can do right now. Look for something that you can accomplish within the next day or two or a week or a month. And you start taking those steps and doing what you can and preparing. And I tell you, there's so many people missing this step. That is a powerful, powerful truth I've shared with you this morning. That is really, really good. And God will just lead us step by step by step. Your healing might come gradual, not because that's God's will, but because that's where you are. Maybe some of, you know, I had, I've had a dozen people this week ask me, so do I quit my medicine? I can't tell you if you quit your medicine because I could tell you what I would do, but you may not be where I am. And I just, my pat answer is that's what the Holy Spirit's given to you for. You pray and let the Holy Spirit show you. Maybe he wants you to come off cold turkey. Maybe you're ready to do that. Maybe some of you are going to have to wean yourself off of the medicine. Some of you, your faith might be that the doctor is going to have to tell you you're healed before you quit the medicine. And it just depends on where you are. And you need to take steps based on where you are. I can't tell you what to do. But it'll be according to your faith. God will deal with you. And if you would start following God and just take those steps of faith, it would transform your life. Man, that's good news. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for these truths. Thank you for what you've taught me. And I pray that as I've shared these truths today, that the Holy Spirit is teaching others and that they're learning this at the expense of the word and not having to go out and make the mistakes themselves. Father, help us to just be obedient to the steps that you are giving us that we would follow you step by step by step. Thank you, Father. Well, the Holy Spirit right now is just speaking to me. That he has taken a tremendous weight and pressure off of some of you who have seen the end result of what God wants to do in your life and you've just been overwhelmed by it. It's just bigger than you. You've been intimidated by it. And now he's just changing your focus so that you don't have to accomplish it all at once. You just take this step. If you will pray, God will start showing you steps that you can take. And it's going to be bite size. You can't eat an elephant all at once. You eat it one bite at a time. And God's just showing you the next bite, showing you the next step. And it's taking pressure off of you. Some of you are being freed up right now. And your enthusiasm is returning to you right now as you begin to start looking at the things that you can do, not maybe the end result. Thank you, Father. We agree and receive this. And I just thank you that the Holy Spirit uses this and applies it to every person in such a way that it answers their question and shows them how to walk out what you are calling them to do. And Father, we agree and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Again, I want to give an invitation. I talked to one man this morning who wasn't born again. And I said, man, why aren't you born again? And he says, well, I'm going to be. Today is the day of salvation. 
I want to give an invitation. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, that you need to be born again. And if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. It's not limited to that. There's a lot more than just this gift of speaking in tongues, but it is super powerful. If there's anybody here today who doesn't have one or both of those, salvation and baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'd love to pray with you and help you to receive. Anybody here like that today? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. If you need the salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here's one right here. Anybody else? Here's one in the back. Here's one over here. Praise God. We've already had, how many people now receive the baptism? Huh? 86 have already received the baptism. And last I heard it was 14 salvations, 16 salvations. Isn't that great? But if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, would you just come right down here and we want to pray with you? Just come forward right now and let us pray with you and help you to receive. Praise the Lord. Let's thank God for these as they come. Amen. Praise the Lord. Boy, this is great. Let me remind you that here in just a few minutes, uh, they're going to have the Bible college meeting and it's in room C, I believe. And so if you, you know, Bible college could be that next step for some of you. If nothing else, you ought to at least go check it out and see what would happen. I encourage you, they've got that meeting starting in just a few minutes. It'll only uh, take a little while, but I encourage you to go check that out. Amen. Praise the Lord. Man, isn't this great? It's going to change your life. I believe you're never going to be the same again. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. This is great. Ashley, do you, uh, could we just have you take them to the prayer room where will you give them the book and let them, uh, let Ashley and Carly and Robert minister to you. And the reason being, because we've got this meeting and we need to basically go as quickly as we can. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to just follow Ashley right here or Robert right here's Robert. And they're going to take you to a room. They're going to pray with you and give you a free book. What a deal. You're going to receive the baptism of the Holy spirit. Amen. Whoa. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This lady pulled me off the stage. I didn't realize she was going over. You okay? Yes, she's fine. Praise the Lord. And the rest of you, we got prayer ministers up here. If our prayer ministers would come up here. They're going to be up here to pray with you and minister to you, help you any way that they can. These are people that have been through a training with Ashley and Carly. And um, they're well able to pray for you and see miracles happen. So if you would like prayer or agreement for anything, please come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you and pray. Anybody want prayer or ministry here today? If that's you, I want you to come forward right now. We've got people stationed here at the aisles that will direct you towards one of our prayer ministers. Has everybody here already been ministered to? Everybody's healthy? What a deal. Someday we won't have anybody who needs anything. They'll be walking in the word so strong. Praise God. But if you need prayer, come forward right now. The rest of you remember that we've got CDs 
and DVDs of the four services already made out there. Please pick them up. It'd be a great way to keep this word fresh in your heart. And then we've got all of the other materials and everything out there. So please take advantage. Tonight, our meeting starts at 6 p.m., not 7. So please come at 6 p.m. this evening. God bless you. You're dismissed.